RNZ National Friday afternoon means time for Critter of the Week. I'm joined by CEO of Forest and Bird and new television star Nicola Tuki. Hello. Ahi ahi mari, how are you? Your new show is so great. Well done. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I, do you know what? I was just real excited to be able to let people see the stuff that we saw. Yeah. Um, which was really, really cool. And I've had lovely feedback about, oh, I didn't know about the robust grasshoppers yeah. and aren't friends lovely. And so for all of those people, uh, one of the cool things that I picked up this week was, um, so first and foremost, it's kind of, it's such a cool coalition of the willing, if you like, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, nature advocacy. So the CE of Forest and Bird is representing WWF New Zealand's partnership on the show. And and working with them, and then the Department of Conservation did something really cool this week, which was um, put up a website, a web page, about the show that um, is just a whole lot of links to each of those species. Because you know, there's been so many people going, "Wow, I want to know more about oh, good you run. Know, the Galaxid," and uh, yeah, so it's a nice way to kind of um, it's a bit like the way that lovely Mike Dickerson and his Wikipedians contribute to Critter of the Week by boosting the information about it. It's a sort of similar approach. Yeah, and, which, fair, um, and fair play to Doc. It's actually quite hard to move fast when you're a government department, so good on whoever it was <laughs> who got that moving and uh, got the website up. Yeah, re- it's really cool. Um, and, yeah, I... And I you rated, um, you got good ratings and good reviews. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty chuffed, actually. Um and Usually it's one or the I'm other, sh- Nick, so you've straddled both caps. <laughs> I don't know. It's all new to me. I don't <laughs> quite know how it all how it all works. Um, but, yeah, it's I've seen a fair amount of feedback for the most part. People seem pretty happy, uh, and I can assure everyone who did watch it that there's basically no script, right? That's pretty obvious. And mm-hmm. uh, the scene, for example, where me mate Pax comes up the hill with no shirt on, that was not a setup. We did that because it was... <laughs> It was so hot and grumpy. Uh, getting <laughs> I up actually related to that. <laughs> I related to that so hard because there are times when you um, when you're out amongst the nature and you're meant to be awe inspired and think about how beautiful it is, but you actually are hating life because you're more puffed than yeah. you've ever been. You're kind of angry randomly at the people who have dragged you out there, and then you kind of go from that to. Oh my gosh! I'm so glad I'm here. But yeah, he, I, I I thought it was cool, and one of the first nature programs I can remember that doesn't hide that part of it. Yeah, that sometimes it's actually quite hard. Um, and then the other bit that made me giggle quite a lot, and it certainly did at the time, was when we went electric fishing for the wee, the wee <laughs> lowland longjaw galaxid, and you can see the sheer panic on his face as as the ranger is about to turn on the 600 volts. <laughs> through the water that we're standing in, you know, it's a very weird feeling to to go. Okay, I've got gumboots on. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had to watch it again uh, with my family because I got too distracted by people messaging me and texting oh, me on Monday night. Yeah, it's so, quite exciting. Uh, it's quite exciting when you're on the TV for the first time for a while and you hear from everyone, <laughs> and then next week, episode two, you'll hear from nobody. <laughs> Yeah, just... and that's okay. I mean, I'm actually going to put the phone in a drawer so I can just watch it next week. <laughs> um, you, of course, have a job with us still. Um, not famous mm. enough to quit this job, I hope. Uh, <laughs> Credit of the Week. Each week, um, a beautiful celebration of New Zealand's native species, and we've got through hundreds and hundreds of them today. Uh, I'm still surprised each week when it's something new that I haven't heard of and so different to all the other ones we've covered so far. That's definitely the case with the sea butterfly. 
Oh, absolutely. I was amazed by the sea butterfly. This one is yet another ripper. So uh, sea butterflies, the flying snails of the sea, uh, and (laughs) my favourite thing about this, so first and foremost, uh, I do like, you know, if you can cast your mind back to if you learned any kind of Latin at school, and certainly when you're Mm. learning um, zoology, you learn um, quite a lot of Latin because it's generally in the scientific nomenclature. Um, so they belong to the scientific order Teropoda, which we've, which if you split apart means um, wing foot. If you think of a pterodactyl, oh, yeah. you know, or a, or a parapoda or whatever. So wing foot in very ancient Greek because they basically have a um, – they, they – they flap their feet to swim around. And bearing in mind, snails don't have feet. So if you think about the fact that um, they, you know, the bottom of a snail split apart and then they they flap that to kind of swim around in the sea and they look like a butterfly, hence the name sea butterfly. I did not know this, but all of our oceans are actually full of sea butterflies and big things like whales and salmon and you know kind of seabirds love to eat them and they are apparently known as the potato chips of the sea <laughs> and that i love that that a... is so evocative <laughs> well it struck a very real chord with me because myself and also uh my son are potato chip aficionados it's fair to say oh, yeah, so anything Potato chips. We're, we're big I'm enthusiasts uh, of the potato chips of the land. We get through a whole bag, <laughs> me and my wife, pretty much every uh, weekend night. Oh, yeah. There's panic in our house because we live very rurally. So, you know, going down the soupy yeah. is, you know, a 20K return trip. <laughs> um, and so panic ensues when Hunter opens the pantry cupboard and is like, there's no chips. <laughs> Red lights start flashing and alarms start going off. Um Anywho, uh, yeah, so they had me at Potato Chips of the Sea. Yeah, and I was going to say I'm surprised I've never come across one. Not that I spend a lot of time underwater. But actually, if you look at the photo, and <laughs> we've got a beautiful uh, photo on our website, rnz.co.nz slash jesse. They look like they're a decent sight, like the size of a normal butterfly, but in fact they're very small. Yeah, they're very small. Uh, yeah, and there's quite an amazing... Um, image that you will be able to have a look at thanks to the team at Tapapa. They're very small. Most of them are less than a one cent less than one centimetre long. So the size of a lentil, I think one of your crew crew described them as. I know. I laughed when I saw that because when <laughs> I think of lentils I just think of Neil of the young ones. Yeah, anyway, yeah. that's just aged me. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> this one is around the lentil size um, but the shell can be bigger so the shell can be double the size of that which is kind of interesting and they have this crazy like transparent almost like a glass kind of looking calcified shell and then obviously and and their bodies uh, sorry their shells are very thin as well so you know even thinner and crunchier than a potato chip um, so what I, one thing that I do like about this particular species, we didn't talk about the species, we talked about the, the blooming order of pteropoda, but the species we're talking about this week is 
Cavalinia tridentata, tridentata, and so three toothed. There's three little teeth, which I think is kind of nice. Mm. And it's one of about twelve species of pteropods that we have flapping around in the <laughs> in the water. They, they do look um, quite spectacular. I'd encourage you to check out the photos. They um they're very beautiful. They look like like something an ancient Roman might carve. They are very beautiful, um, but it's interesting because much like. You know, you and I were just discussing how much we love to binge on potato chips. Mm. Uh, the things that eat it, things like blue cod, uh, also like to binge on the potato chip of the sea, uh, on the sea butterfly. And uh, some of the scientists who have looked into uh, fish that, that um, have perhaps an overindulgence uh, in these creatures end up with their stomachs stained black, which I think is pretty neat and pretty gross. <laughs> they, this particular um, lineage has been around for over 133 million years, which I also find quite amazing. And they are one of the most abundant animals. And because they exist in such significant numbers, they're obviously a vital part of the ocean food change, chain, but they also play a really important role uh, with respect to the ocean carbon cycle. However, yeah. my favourite fact about this, apart from the fact that it, you know, it's essentially a snail that flies around underwater and looks like, do you know what it looks like? Yeah. I reckon it looks like Boba Fett's ship from uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I know Empire that ship Strikes well. Back. Um, the, <laughs> the thing that I really appreciate about the sea butterfly is that they, um, they're mostly passive plankton feeders. They're floating along and they just sort of, you know, scooping up plankton but but they can become active feeders and so they do this by releasing a, a mucus web five centimeters wide to catch plankton so you think about Ooh. it they're one centimeter and they i don't know how they do, do they a, a mucus web. i was about to say do they just snot it out that's a bit gross but they do <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and hey, I specifically also... remember you being introduced as a biologist in this TV show. I don't know if biologists use phrases like snot it out. I think they should. <laughs> they do now. Um, so they, um, the mucus web can also help keep them afloat, like like a wee parachute while they're kind of hanging out in the water column, which I think is quite amazing. Mm. Um, they also, like, uh, quite a few ocean um, underwater species do this. They start life as males. And then they realise the error of their ways and switch to becoming females once they get to a certain size. <laughs> they are known as the ocean canary in the coal mine because these guys are, you know, the first sig signal, if you like, of um, ocean acidification, uh -huh. which is the thing that we're obviously really worried about because they have little shells. And so the shells determine, you know, they're the, some of the first creatures that show how the pH might be changing in the waters and they can't build their shells if it's too acidic, right? So the, if we have a situation where our lovely little sea butterflies are struggling to create their shells, mm. that's telling us a pretty bad story about what's going on um, in the ocean. Slave One was a modified Fire Spray 31 class patrol and attack craft used by the infamous Mandalorian bounty hunter Jango Fett and later his clone <laughs> son Boba Fett just prior to the fall of the Republic. Just wanted to catch people up on that earlier reference from Nicola, by the way, and uh, I've looked it up on the internet and it does look a lot like the sea butterfly. I think we should stick with that analogy.
Well, I mean, I think there's a Star Wars analogy for pretty much everything in life, Jesse, so I'm I think there to bring is. that to the table. I think there is. What was the other <laughs> reference you made earlier that put you back in the mid-80s somewhere? Neil off the young ones. Oh, yeah, okay. Lentils. The young ones in Star Wars. We must have reached the conclusion of Critter of the Week, except <laughs> that you are required to rate the attractiveness of Cavalinia tridentata, the sea butterfly, on a scale of 1 to 10. Well, I mean, I've just told you it's got stars all over it, so I'm, I'm, it is quite beautiful. It looks like art. I'm going to give it a six and a half. Yeah, okay. Okay, what are you doing in your TV show next week? Uh, we are heading to the incredible and ancient Puriora Forest to find all kinds of amazing things. Kind of timely. I saw in the news recently some people have been chopping down trees and nicking them out of there, which is a bit tragic. Oh. So um, Where's hopefully this will... Central North Island. Oh, yeah. uh, we're the closest to, to, to Puriora. It's sort of like Tikawiti way. Lost Highway kind of territory. Yeah. I'd, and in fact, I had never been. So yeah. think about for you know many, many, many years of traveling all over the country, looking at the nature, had never been to Puriora, and it knocked my socks off. Highly, highly recommend uh a trip there. In fact, if if you're a cyclist, which I am not, and there were many tantrums behind the scenes about the fact that I had to ride a bike, um, <laughs> there's a re- <laughs> I mean, it, because I just look ridiculous. It's just I'm not a bike person, just to be just to be clear. Um, but there is a really neat trail called the Timber Trail that goes through the middle of Puriora, and you can Perfect. experience nature while you're whistling along on your crazy bikes. And I know you always make fun of me for not remembering anything that we talk about on Critter of the Week, but uh, when you say Tekawiti and forest, I think native frogs. Would I be in the right ballpark? You would. Yeah. You'll just have to watch this space. All right. Nicola Tuki, thanks so much. Thanks, TC. Time for Guy and Espinar and the panel.